0: here. We are grateful that you gather together to celebrate this Good Friday. Um, We are grateful as well for all the children that are here. So thanks kids for being here. We're really glad that you can be a part of this celebration as well. Um, If all the kids, if, if you did not get some coloring sheets and a crayon Can I get one of the kids to raise their hand? If you didn't get a coloring sheet and crayon, the ushers have coloring sheets and crayons. Perfect. We got some in the middle here. Can you pass some out? Keep your hands up, guys. We got like three or four there. I guess I'm over here as well. Excellent. Up here, George, right there. Perfect. Excellent. In the back, the middle. Um, Thank you for being with us. And kids, hey, listen along, color along um, if you would like and um, We are just glad that you're here together, and we'll be done by 8 o'clock, just in case you're wondering, so there's not too long, parents, that you have to wait for that either. Thanks for doing that, guys. Appreciate you passing those out. Anybody else need some crayons or coloring sheet over there? And in the middle as well, too. Perfect. Great. Thank you very much. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, as Aaron said, that we would, we would commemorate and celebrate death. But, but the reason why it's strange is, you know, you, you never like to go to a funeral. Anybody here love going to funerals? No one, right? No, nobody raised their hands. Nobody likes going to funeral because at a funeral we're really faced with the reality and the finality of death. Death is something that most of us, we rightly, we rightly hate death. And, and many people fear death as well. Most people rightly don't look forward to death. We're not meant to. And although we say that death is natural, it doesn't feel very natural at all. Although we're born with a desire not to die. We're we're born with a desire to preserve life, to do whatever it takes to stay alive. And so death doesn't seem right. And that's because it really isn't right. God didn't create us originally to die. He created us to live, to enjoy Him, to enjoy life, to thrive, to be fruitful, to be, to be free, to be in a loving relationship with Him. And yet that's not what we experience. And death is an affront to all of those things, to all that we are created to be. It robs enjoyment. It, it, it takes fruitfulness. It takes away freedom to live and death ends relationships. But in a sense, Good Friday is a little bit like a funeral because we're gathering to commemorate the death of Jesus. But when we gather to commemorate Good Friday, what we are doing is we are not mourning, we are celebrating. And that might seem strange to you if you are not a Christian here and you're wondering, why is it that Christians gather to celebrate death? Or if you are a believer... Sometimes you can become familiar with this whole idea. And I think it should be shocking to us that we celebrate death. But we celebrate this death of Jesus and we do it voluntarily because it means everything to us. It's sobering to think about his death and how he died as we heard the passages read this evening about the progression from his trial to his crucifixion and his burial but when we commemorate this death, we, we, it's a glad time for us because we know something. We know that he did not stay in the tomb. He didn't stay dead. And, and, and that's, that gives us hope. But there's something very important. We don't want to pass by this Good Friday. And it's since very early on, Christians have celebrated Good Friday since the very first few centuries. And they did that because it's important too. And I think as well, it was important for Jesus for us to commemorate His death, too. At the end of the service today, we are going to have a chance to commemorate his death and obey his commands. And one of the last commands he gave before he died was to remember his death. We take time specifically to pause and celebrate the death of Jesus because without the death of Jesus, we'd still be dead in our sins, we'd still be separated from God. We still be in bondage to, to living for ourselves and, and we be have no reason for faith, no reason for hope. And so it's good to remember why Jesus died because all of those things have been reversed. Without the death of Christ, we wouldn't have life. And the Apostle Paul went so far as to tell the church in Corinth, he said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So why do we celebrate his death? We celebrate the death of Jesus because his death has paid for our sins. We celebrate the death of Jesus because his death has paid for our sins. There was no other way to pay for our sins, and yet we celebrate the death of Jesus because his death has paid for our sins. Sin is it's the biggest problem that humanity faces. If I told you that you owed, I don't know, two hundred and thirty billion dollars, which is roughly double what Jeff Bezos' net worth is, I would just I read an article. He's worth one hundred and fifteen billion, so double that, and let's say that you owed that much money to somebody, it would be an impossibility that you could repay it. Imagine that you owed that much; you you could never hope to repay it. You could. Never believe that you could repay it. It'd be beyond any reasonable doubt that you had any ability to repay it. And, and yet, as a comparison, our debt of sin is even larger. You see, we were created without sin by a completely holy, completely sinless God to live joyfully before Him, depending on Him, enjoying all the perfect creation He made for our enjoyment. And yet, our original father and mother, Adam and Eve, they... They sinned against God. They violated the very nature that they'd been given. They violated the purpose they'd been created for. They didn't trust God's commands. They disobeyed God. They didn't trust that he was enough. They were proud. They tried to be God. They took the fruit. They hoped to be like God, knowing good and evil. They disobeyed God directly. And when they disobeyed God directly, they introduced a flaw into the entire system. It's like a computer bug that, that runs wild, wreaking havoc. Sin, sin is has ran wild in humanity and it's since corrupted the world we live in and that we're meant to take care of and everything has become corrupted by sin man was banished from the presence of god we went from being designed for life to death entering into our bodies we'd no longer be fruitful as we were made to be we could no longer thrive we were separated from the creator We were no longer free to live for the purposes that he designed us for, no longer free to live for him, no longer free to be in relationship with God and separated from our source of life and help. Our condition was dire and it's good to remember how dire our condition is without the death of Christ. Our nature was corrupted from wanting God to wanting other things to satisfy us and now that that that's the case, all of us have been born into sin with a sinful nature so that we only choose to sin, though it is sin. Sin is, sin is anything. It's been defined as any feeling, any thought, any speech, any action. It comes from a heart that doesn't treasure God over all things. Sin, actions called sins, are any thought, any feeling, any speech, any action that comes like fruit, branch, shoot, out of the root of the heart that prefers anything to God. Think about that for a moment. Do you prefer anything to God in any area of your life? in your thoughts, in your actions, in your desires in your deeds? Sin's what causes all the struggles, the trials, the brokenness in the world. The consequences of sin. Romans 3:23 6, tells us, is, is death. The wages of sin is death, and it says that it's the payment. Not only that, Romans 1:18 says, "The wrath of God, it's revealed." From heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned. None of us are, are able to say that we're sinless. And after the fall, all of humanity, we were stuck hopelessly in sin, affected by sin, living in sin, unable to make ourselves clean from sin, death for the wrath of God, and to die apart from Him. Not only that, the problem was even bigger because our sins were against an infinite eternal God, infinite in value, infinite in worth, completely holy, completely perfect, completely just, His nature completely opposed to sin. So because of that, there is no way for us to atone, to make up for all of our sins, no matter how long we might live. We have to pay for all eternity against an infinitely worthy, infinitely holy, infinitely right God. God. God's justice demands that the punishment for sin be equal to the crime. The problem is we can never repay. That's why we gather to remember the death of Jesus because his death has paid for our sins. The weight of that should be massive for us. The weight of seeing our sin and what we deserve and that we can never ever repay, that we're completely without hope, that none of us was good, and yet he's died for our sins and completely paid for our sins is meant to affect us. Because the love of the Father chose to send the Son. Because the Son chose to come to redeem us, to take our place. We celebrate the death of Jesus. Because He took our sins on Himself and He died for them. He took our place. He made legal payment for sin according to the law for all who trust in Him and by faith place their sins on Him. If you are here tonight and you have trusted in Jesus, then He has taken Payment. He has made payment for each and every one of your sins, past, present, and future. There's no sin beyond the reach of God. There's no person beyond his reach. He took our place. He made legal payment. First Peter 2.24 puts it this way. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. Think about that for a moment, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Most of us are familiar with John three sixteen, how no punishment for, remains for us, that we, we will not perish if we believe in him. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 1, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want you to think about for a moment the death of Jesus and what is accomplished. His death means that all of our sins are paid for. We receive this payment simply by believing, by trusting in a sacrifice. I want you to think tonight about every sin you can recall. I know it sounds morbid. I don't have to tell anybody besides you. that would be make for a very awkward moment for both of you. But think about every sin that you can recall. Think about everything you've ever done. Think about the worst things that you want no one else to know about you. Every wrongly motivated thought, every evil desire, every wrong action, wrong word, unkind act, unkind word, those things that make you feel dirty, that make you feel unclean, that make you feel like God surely cannot forgive you. Every unloving thing you've ever done, you ever will do. Every failure to love God, every failure to love your fellow man and woman. Every one of those thoughts, words, and actions, the good news we celebrate has been forgiven. Every one of them, if you've placed your faith in Jesus. That's something to celebrate. That's why this is not like a funeral in the sense that we're sober, we're sobered by our sin, but celebrate his death. Not only that, we celebrate his death because it's his death has redeemed us. He's not just forgiven us of all of our sins, but it's redeemed us. It's, he's bought us back. Imagine if you were a scuba diver and you were at the bottom of the ocean and when you were scuba diving. Somehow you got trapped at the bottom of the ocean and a rock fell on you None of your other fellow divers realized that. They went back up to the surface and you were there and your air is running out. You're about to die. And yet, then all of a sudden, as you are passing out, you kind of see this shadowy figure come down. You think it's your last. They pull the rock off you, they rescue you, they bring you to the surface. That's, that's a dim picture of redemption because really he says we were dead in our sins. And he's redeemed us. He's set us free from captivity to sin. He's, he's set us free from being enslaved to sin. He's redeemed us. He's brought us back with his own death. We would not have been able to carry out the purpose we were made for to begin with unless Jesus had died. We wouldn't be able to enjoy God. We'd still be living under a curse. And yet it says, in, in Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the cursed law by becoming a curse for us. He was cursed for you and I. First Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We can now live to righteousness. We've been redeemed. We're not under the curse. We have the ability now to actually live in a way that's pleasing to God. You don't have to do the things that you desire to do that are not pleasing to God any longer. You've been redeemed. Don't believe the lie. If you're a Christian here, if you put your faith in Jesus, don't believe the lie that the devil tells you that you have no power to resist sin, that you'll never be different, that you're always going to be enslaved, that you have to obey these sinful desires. Don't believe that lie that happens to all of us. Sin was our master, but because now the death of Christ, it's no longer our master. I should make everybody just stand up and say hallelujah, you know? What that means, his death has redeemed us from the power of sin. You don't have to stay stuck. We don't have to stay stuck in sin. That's something to celebrate. And then the last thing that we see is that we celebrate the death of Jesus because his death has not only paid for our sins and redeemed us, but reconciled us to God. His death has made a restoration of all things so that now we have a right to be with God, the creator of the universe, the one who made us and designed us, the one who is best for us. The death of Jesus now has reconciled us to God. Think for a moment who you love the most, or maybe actually in a different way, think about who loves you the most. You got that? Think for a second. Anybody have somebody in your head? Raise your hand. Somebody in your head who loves you the most. You can put your nobody's got that. Everybody, put your hands up if you have who who loves you the most in your head. Now imagine that you could never be with them, that you would forever be separated from them. That'd be especially difficult and heart wrenching. It doesn't compare to being separated from God or Creator. You see, God, He's the most loving, the most. Giving, the most generous, the most kind, the the one who is the most of everything good and right. He created us to live, to to enjoy Him, to enjoy life, to thrive, to be fruitful. To be free, to be in a loving relationship with him. He, every relationship here on earth that is good is just but a dim reflection of the relationship they are meant to have with him and that one day all who have placed their faith in him will enjoy. If you are married here, your marriage will end. Why? Because you will be joined with him in a way that is closer than your spouse here. The death of Jesus has reconciled us to God to make that true. True. We celebrate the death of Jesus tonight because by his death he's reconciled us to God. In Romans 5.10 it says, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit mercifully conspired to make a way to reconcile us to God through the death of Jesus even though we were God's enemies. Ephesians 2.13, it tells us, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The news gets better, though. Because of the death of Jesus, nothing will ever separate those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.38, it says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord all because of the death of Jesus. Now we come boldly, Scripture says, to approach God, to ask Him for mercy and grace whenever we need it. That's why we celebrate the death of Jesus. Because now we have access to infinite joy. Maybe you're discouraged, despondent. We have access to infinite joy. We have access to infinitely worthy, the infinitely good, the infinitely loving, infinitely generous and powerful God. Because Jesus' death has reconciled us to him. Now think about that, what that means for you and I. We are all who have placed our faith in Jesus. We're free from sin. No punishment remains, no wrath remains, no condemnation remains. We're set free to live for God. We now, that can live and fulfill the purposes that he's called us to. We don't have to be stuck. We're free to, to serve him. We're free to get help from him. He is merciful towards us. And now he's not our savior. He's our hope. He's our ultimate friend. He's our father. We can have ultimate satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment, ultimate enjoyment, peace, and love in God. All that occurs because of the death of Jesus. So I want to close our time tonight by celebrating his death together. The usher is going to come forward. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, if you've repented and believed in him, then we'd invite you to join together with us. Parents, if you're not sure whether that's true of your children or not, you can let it pass. If, if you'd like them to participate, that's up to you. If you're a guest here and you've placed your faith in Jesus, we would welcome you to join with us as well. What we commemorate when we experience what this is called. This is called communion. This is where we celebrate the union we have with Jesus because of his death. Jesus knew what he was going to do for us. He, he knew ahead of time that he was going to die for us to suffer in our place. He told his disciples time and time again and then the night before as he was betrayed, before he was betrayed, he, he told them to do exactly what we're going to do. To do this in remembrance of him. Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. This is what we're holding here. We're holding a representation of his body. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's what we're celebrating here. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat the bread and drink of the cup. What we're celebrating tonight is the death of Jesus. Because his death has paid for all of our sins. His death has redeemed us and set us free. Don't listen to the lies of the devil that says you're still in bondage, that your sin still remains. But not only have your sins been paid for and redeemed, you've been reconciled to the Almighty Creator to walk in fellowship and in union with Him. His body was broken for us. That's what this bread, this cracker represents. He took all the punishment and wrath that we deserved. He took our place on the cross, our substitute. And because of this, we have hope and life. So we're going to eat this in a second together. And as we do, I want you to afresh, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to him because of his body. Consider yourself set free because the punishment has been put on him. Consider yourself reconciled to him through the body of Christ. Let's eat together. Now we take this cup of juice that represents his blood. The blood that streamed down from his head when the crown of thorns was pressed into it. The blood that dripped from his back from being whipped for us. The blood that came from the holes in his hands and his feet. The blood that flowed from his side after he had died. Because Jesus bled, he gave his life for us, we've been forgiven. This is a new covenant, a covenant that's not based on our performance, that's not based on our ability to to atone for our sins, to set ourselves free, to make ourselves reconciled to God. No, this covenant is a new covenant in his blood. And this covenant has secured freedom from sin. It's secured redemption, it's secured reconciliation. So let's drink this juice together. Now let's stand, and like the disciples did on the night before he was betrayed, we're going to close with singing together. We're going to sing the song, let's, we hunger and thirst as a fresh declaration of our hope in his death for us. Let's sing together.